Well, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where life just starts to keep kind of stacking on top of itself, where things get worse and worse, and maybe habits that you have, you know, you're, you're just further and further out of the habits, and you just keep getting down and down and down, and then you're finally, I just need a reset day. Anybody? Just need that reset day, where it's like, I just need it to, to start all over again. And, and we look for that day. Maybe we plan a getaway or something like that. You know, I just need to get out of town for a day and, and, and it'll all be reset. Or a Monday. Monday's the, the day to start something new, right? So I'm gonna start that, that new diet on Monday or I'm gonna stop that bad habit that I've been trying to kick. I'm gonna stop it on Monday. And, and we set these moments, these days, or if you're like a lot of Christians, what happens is we, we have these big events where there's going to be a, a big key speaker. There's going to be a, maybe a, a conference that you're going to leave and go out of town for and be part of. And, and, and the conference then becomes an annual event. And so then, because of what happened the first year, you say, I just need that, that conference again. And I, I, I need that to happen. That took place for me in, in, in high school with youth camp. It was like, Every summer, you know, youth camp was going to be this, this reset, this time of focusing, and man, I'm sold out to God, and I'm going to live for His glory and all this, and then, you know, then school would start, and all of that would kind of fizzle a lot of times. You know, there's something kind of ingrained in us. I don't think anybody had to teach us that we need a reset, that, that sometimes you just need like this full stop to then reset the clock, if you will, on all that's going on, whether it's habits, whether it's addictions, whether it's relationships, whether it's just a distance from God. I mean, all of these things kind of point to something that I think is kind of wired into us. And we actually see that it is wired into us by the creator God because as he is laying out how his people are to relate to him, and we've been looking in this series at how do we have a clean slate that I've just witnessed among my brothers and sisters in Christ this hunger that after we've become a Christian to have a clean slate, that we trusted Jesus initially to forgive us of our sin and to restore us to a right relationship with himself. But then as we go on in our Christian faith by 5, 10, 15, 20 or more years, and we maybe make some coarse you know, mistakes along the way that take us away from God and stuff, we begin to then say, well, you know, Jesus was who got me in. I've got to get me out of this situation. Jesus is who brought me into the family of God, but to stay in the family of God, I, I've got to do these things. Uh, Jesus took away my former sins, but I've got to do something about my current sins to atone for them, to take them away, to pay for them. And while we wouldn't usually say it that way, that's how we live. We gravitate toward the law. And we talked about how in God's word, in the New Testament that Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, he, he was very concerned because that's what happened with them. They began by the Spirit of God. They began by, by grace, through faith in Jesus, but then they were kind of shifting to this law, to, to these rules, to trying to, to do things to keep their relationship with God rather than realizing that a clean slate is something that Jesus alone can give and Jesus alone can keep. We need Jesus. And so in God's word, turning all the way back to Leviticus 16, 
in this look at Leviticus that then takes us right over to the New Testament, today we see the big day. Today we see the moment on the annual basis for the people of God where the reset button was hit. It was a big day. It was the day called the Day of Atonement. And so today I want you to put your finger right there in Leviticus 16, and then I want you to also turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 9. Because we're going to look at a passage that takes this Day of Atonement and the image that is here and helps us understand what it looks like for us today. So in Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 28. So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and we stand acknowledging this is different. This is different than hearing from me. This is different from anything else we're hearing from God. And so we just stand to acknowledge this is God speaking to his people. So beginning in verse 29 of chapter 16 in Leviticus, hear the word of the Lord. God is talking about the day of atonement, okay? So he's been going through lots of details up to this point in the chapter about what animals are to be sacrificed, who can offer the sacrifices, what they're to wear when they're offering the sacrifices, all of these details. But then we get to this kind of a summary passage where God says, this is to be a permanent statute for you. In other words, you're to do the day of, the, day of atonement regularly. In the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work, both the native and the alien who resides among you. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins because before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. It is a permanent statute. The priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as high priest in place of his father will make atonement. He will put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the most holy place. He will make atonement for the tent of meeting and the altar and will make atonement for the priest and all the people of the assembly. This will be a permanent statute for you to make atonement for the Israelites once a year because of all their sins. And all this was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Now turn with me over to Hebrews chapter nine. And I want you to look at verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of things of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices. What are those sacrifices? It's the very sacrifices being spoken of in Leviticus 16. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats. But the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these, the blood of bulls, the blood of goats. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times, as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another, Leviticus 16. Otherwise, he would have to suffer many times since the foundation of the world, but now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word and make ready for yourself a body, a bride prepared for the day of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We need a day of atonement. We need a day of atonement. We've walked through different passages of Leviticus to see what it is that is thousands of years old but speaks to our hunger for a clean slate to see that all of these things are ultimately pointing to something that only Jesus can bring. But this final aspect of what we need is seen in the reality that we need a day of atonement. Now, as I set up this sermon to kind of communicate, we know what it's like to look forward to this day, a conference, a retreat, a one-day moment where things are set right, where we're restored, we're refreshed, it feels like we've been cleansed, life is new, and we're on our way. But we all know, we all know that that only delivers for a moment. The minute you're back on the road, the worries of this life begin to creep back in. You start to think about what's gonna happen. Maybe you haven't checked your email in a few days and you know it has built up and it's waiting for you. You haven't returned text messages or phone calls, but they're waiting for you. Life is still here. We need a day of atonement that's not so temporary. A day that doesn't just work once and then leaves us just looking forward to the next year, we need a day of atonement that is lasting. And why is that? Because the day of atonement was given to remove sin. To remove sin. That's why we need a day of atonement. We need our sin removed. Just like we need a bad habit removed. Just like we need the guilt removed, the shame removed. We need sin removed. That's the greatest need of all human beings is to have their sin removed. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? I have to ask myself that question. I really believe that the greatest need of every human being is the forgiveness of their sin. Is that really the greatest need of every human being? There will be a constant attack against that thought for each one of us who have committed ourselves to Christ, that that's actually not the greatest need. In fact, the world would say, our culture today, that the greatest need for humans is the opposite, to stop being told that their greatest need is sin and that really there's a wonderful person trapped in each side of one of us. Each, each one of us. But instead, what the scriptures communicate again and again, right here in Leviticus chapter 16, right here in Hebrews chapter 9, is that our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin. Now, I want you to understand this. The cross itself is the primary argument for that reality. It's why Jesus died. If, if our greatest need was to have our physical needs met, then Jesus' ministry would have stopped with that. 
Jesus would not have persistently spoken to his disciples saying, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go and suffer many things. I must die on the cross and be buried and resurrected on the third day. That would not have been necessary if our greatest need was food. If if healing, if medicine was our greatest need, Jesus would have stopped with healing. He would have stopped with that. That would have been why he came. And then he would have died probably an old man, having healed many. It would have been a model to us that what the greatest need is, is medicine. That's not why he died. That's not why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, die in their sin, but receive the gift of eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. In other words, that was the greatest problem, condemnation, but to save the world through him, salvation from sin. To remove sin, that's why we need a day of atonement. And the reason that we see the things that we see in Leviticus 16 and the reason that we see the cross of Christ is this, our sin deserves death. Listen to Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 15. When he, the high priest, slaughters the male goat for the people's sin offering and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same with its blood as he did with the bull's blood. The bull's blood being made to make sacrifice and atonement for his sin and for the other priests. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. He is to make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all their sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. He will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because it is surrounded by their impurities. Notice that's the the greatest issue is the impurities, the defilement, the sin of the people. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the most holy place until he leaves after he has made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole assembly of Israel. Then he will go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the sides of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it from his finger seven times to cleanse and to set it apart for the Israelites from the Israelites' impurities. Notice, there is the death of animals. There is the blood of these animals that is needed in order to make atonement, a covering for their sin. It's clearly communicated here And when we begin to step back and look at the fullness of the scriptures, we see that even in the beginning with the very first two people, Adam and Eve, that in the moment when they have sinned against God and they are being sent out to go out of Eden, what we see is that God provides them skins for clothing. Those skins came from somewhere and we see God himself already demonstrating that it is going to take the death of something in order to cover over our sin and to cover over our shame. All of these images pointing ultimately to a reality that would be realized fully in Jesus. But Paul makes the argument in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Here's the way that the writer of Hebrews says it. But now Jesus has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Get the picture. The Israelites in the Old Testament knew that to have the reset button set, to really have a day, one day, the day of atonement, where their sins all would be forgiven, that it was gonna take the sacrifice of animals, the death of animals, and the high priest himself, only on one day going into the most holy place to apply the blood in that place to take away the sins of the people. This was significant in the life of what it meant to have a clean slate for the Israelites. They looked forward to this day of atonement and noticed that in the passage that we read, he said it is to be a day of complete rest for you. In other words, this is something you can't do for yourself. This is something that an animal has to do for you and then a a mediating high priest has to do for you. You can't do it. You can't take away your sin. You can't die and make atonement for the sins of others because you, you are sinful. Every one of you. That's what God's word is communicating to the Israelites, his people, is that you have to stop and I have to act through the death of these animals, through a high priest. And then we see that in Jesus and in Jesus alone, he himself, the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, appears and goes into not a temple made with human hands, but the temple of the living God into the heavens to present himself as that sacrifice given for our sins. You see, the death of Christ will be meaningless to you until you realize that you deserve death. You deserve death. I deserve death. We, all people, deserve death death. Passages like this will mean nothing to us unless we see in the bull what should happen to us. Unless we look at the goat that is both sacrificed and the goat that gets sent out into the wilderness, that's what ought to happen to us. And the death of Jesus will mean nothing to us unless we look upon the cross rightly, understanding that was supposed to be us. The consequence of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That day of atonement was made once and once for all. It's not going to happen each year like clockwork. You see, each year when we celebrate Easter, it is not because we are looking forward to another day of atonement. Atonement has been made. It was made once and it was made for all. And so as we come in just a few moments to this table and we remember the body that hung on the cross, the blood that was shed for your sin and for mine, as we recall that that veil, that that curtain that separated the holy place from the holy place was torn in two from top to bottom that God was saying that his body was given for your body his blood was given for your blood once for all time and that changes everything about how we pursue a clean slate today 
when we feel the weight of our sin, when we feel the weight of our faithlessness, when we feel the weight of knowing that we are choosing the things of this world rather than Christ, the weight that we feel when we're not being a godly husband or a wife, but are being selfish, the weight of the guilt that we feel when we know we're not being a godly parent, but being a selfish parent. All of that was dealt with for you and for I on the cross of Christ once for all. We need a day of atonement. And praise be to God, atonement has been made. But we need a day of atonement second to make worship possible. To make worship possible. We forget because we know on 9.30, on Sunday mornings in, at First Baptist New Orleans, you show up for worship. Show up for a worship service. And so we, we forget that worship is not something that we can just waltz in and do. As if God says, well, I have to keep my appointments and they scheduled it for this time, so I'm, I'm, I'm obligated. No, God wasn't obligated to allow you and me to come into his presence and to worship him. And so we need to ponder anew what gives us this right to gather. Is it the United States of America? Is it what gives us our religious freedom to gather? Well, on one hand, but on another, God himself must give you the freedom, the ability to come before him. Because you see, in other texts in the Old Testament, if anybody went into the most holy place, they came before God at a time other than the Day of Atonement, and if they were anybody but the high priest, there was one fate for that person, death. Death. None of you, if I had to guess, feared death as you came today. Chances are, if you did, probably would have stayed home. I don't know about this. I'll see what happens to the others before I go in. What gives us this right to come before God and worship him? come into his presence. Well, we need to remember that our sin prevents us from worshiping God. That was what kept the people from God. That's why these sacrifices were being made in Leviticus 16 is because sin had separated and so therefore atonement needed to be made so that worship could continue. Because if it didn't, if these things didn't take place, if there wasn't atonement for sin, if there wasn't this mediation by a high priest, then the people of God were eventually going to experience a empty holy of holies. God was not going to tolerate their sin forever. Our sin prevents us from worshiping God. In Leviticus 16.2, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat of the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Consider Hebrews chapter nine, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself so that he might appear in the presence of God for us. Get the picture. What the one day a year high priest did, Hebrews is communicating to us 
Jesus has done to be before God for us at all times. He stands continually before us, the living reminder, the living reality of our atonement, our sins being dealt with, our sins being covered over, our sins being taken away as far as the east is from the west. He stands forever, the living reality of our salvation in the place that was the place that the place on earth pointed to in the very presence of God. So why should we be able to enter into this sanctuary without fear of death? Why should we be able to enter into the presence of God on an early morning in your living room and not fear death because Jesus stands for you forever? He stands before the Father faithfully, your sacrifice once for all time for all of your sin. So therefore, we can worship with confidence. That's what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say. But here's the reality. The gift of being able to worship God through faith in Jesus will be meaningless to you and I until we realize that we were created to worship God, but because of sin, we worship everything but God. You see, our worship is not as important to us as we ought to hold it. And the reality for that is because we are blind at times to the fact that we are worshipers. We worship everything. We worship the New Orleans Saints. We worship Mardi Gras. We worship King Cake. We worship entertainment, Netflix, job, money, resources, vacations, material possessions, 401ks. We worship all kinds of things. We turn our hearts again and again and again to other things to look to them to fulfill us in the way that only God is able to meet and supply our needs. We give ourselves fully over to things that are only, that, that, that of which only God is worthy of. We, we will sell out completely to something and forsake God. You see, you and I were created to worship God. But because of sin, the very reason why we need atonement, we worship other things. And you wonder, you and I wonder why when I, when I finally get the thing, why, why does it leave me empty? When, when I finally get the promotion, why do I feel like I need another? When I finally get to that goal, whatever those points are, why, what is that feeling inside of me? It's an indicator that you have worshiped wrongly. You know, it's like that scene from Indiana Jones, in The Last Crusade. He gets to the end of the journey. He goes in to where the Holy Grail is. And he goes in and he he. He's there with the, this guy who makes a foolish decision. And they're looking at all of these cups that from, you could, from which you could drink and it would bring healing and life. And the guy who's selfish, worshiping possessions, worshiping accomplishments, worshiping stuff, he picks up the prettiest cup he can find and he drinks of it and he turns into ashes. It's a cool scene. Then Indiana Jones 
he knows. He knows that if this is going to be a different cup, distinct, but not distinct in the way that you and I would ever think. It's going to be distinct in humility. And so he finds this wooden cup that you would overlook in a heartbeat, and he goes and he picks it up and he drinks of it, and he doesn't turn to ashes. So spoiler alert if you've never seen that movie. That's the gospel. Humility of Jesus Christ. He's he's the cup. He's the only source of our life. It's only by eating of him, drinking of him, that we have life. And as we go on in this life, if we begin to look to other things to supply our life, other bread, other cups, we choose foolishly. See, there was an old man in that cave with Indiana Jones who said very clearly when Indiana Jones took the cup, he has chosen wisely. Brothers and sisters, when you and I in this life come to the table again and again and again, we acknowledge that bound up in our hearts is this need to worship. God made us worshipers. We're going to worship something. To be honest with God, God, I know the only one worthy of worship is your son, Jesus Christ. And the only thing that's going to supply my life is his body, his blood. The only thing that's going to clean my slate is his body and his blood. And that was given once for all time. So I'm not going to give my life to another. I'm not going to try to clean my own slate by serving the church, by giving money faithfully, by doing all of these things that cause us to feel guilted and weighted down. Instead, we are going to come back again and again and again and again. And we are going to repeat to ourselves the truth of his word. Your body was given for my body. Your blood was given for my blood once for all time. Because that's what Paul called the church in Galatia to do. To return to Christ and his sacrifice. To trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. To not try to perfect their lives some other way, but to realize that this is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So why would we try a different way 20 years after first trusting Christ? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that we would pursue a clean slate by any other means than the one who alone can clean it once and for all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see Paul orienting the church to this moment. I invite you to take the bread and the cup 
and to open the bread part. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take in remembrance of Christ. And then Paul writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What we celebrate in this moment is the gospel. You see, brokenness is the reality that you and I know, that we're idolaters, we're, we worship other things. And if you're here today, you may have never realized that your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sin. That is the greatest need of every person. So people in this room around you, may have already realized that their greatest need was the forgiveness of their sins because God desires a restored relationship with us. You see, when God created everything, it was good. We get a, a picture of what God wanted, a beautiful relationship with him, a beautiful relationship with one another, but that was lost because of sin. So God did something. He sent his son who came and lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, giving his body, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He was then buried in a tomb and on the third day, God demonstrated that his son had defeated sin and death by raising him from the grave. He was seen by many witnesses. He then ascended into heaven with the promise that one day he will return. And that will be, as the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 made clear, a day of judgment. It will be a final day. The writer of Hebrews says he's not coming back to deal with sin again, but to save those who have trusted him. And so now is the invitation to you to be honest with God that you need forgiveness of sins and the only way be forgiven of your sins is to trust Jesus, to trust that what he did on the cross, he did for you. To admit, God, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness of sin. Please save me. Please take away my sin. Give me a new heart. Give me a clean slate. And please do it once for all. He will.
God's word says he is faithful and just to forgive. And then and only then you become a new creation and begin to grow into who God intended you to be. So are you near or far? If you're far from God, still in your brokenness, what is keeping you today from turning from your sin and trusting and following Jesus today? Father, I pray that in this moment, you would meet the person, maybe who is watching from home or who is in this room, that right now, your spirit is helping them to see their greatest need is the forgiveness of their sin. Please, in your grace, would you meet that greatest need with the greatest gift? Would they please have their eyes open by you to see Jesus and to fall at his feet and give him everything, confessing that he is king of their life? May this be a moment of surrender for each and every person in this room because we never, we never Grow from a dependent position for that. Jesus. Jesus' body, Jesus' blood given for us once for all time. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And there's gonna be a song of response during this time. Pastor Corey and myself will be here. If you're here today, and for the first time in your life, you realize your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins, and you want to turn from your sin and turn and follow Jesus, then I encourage you, walk forward in this moment and share with one of us what God has done for you.